0: Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, It's good to see everybody here. We are today at the end of this study that seems like we've been doing this forever. Uh, And it has taken much longer than usual because of all the COVID stuff, which tells you a little bit about how long ago we started. So, uh, what we have in mind today is sort of a overview of the whole thing, which I think is good because we started so long ago that we've probably all forgotten whatever the first lesson was about. Uh, so, what you have also today is the handout is the list of the central request from each of these prayers that we've been looking at and the idea is uh, that if we find a prayer in the new testament especially but this might even be true if we looked at say the psalms or uh, prayers in the old testament but we'd have to think about that in a slightly different way but uh, if we find a prayer in the new testament whatever Paul is asking for is something that the church really needs. And then, of course, for the second half of our course, we we were looking at the, the prayer of Jesus recorded in John chapter 17, which is often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I was thinking about it this morning, I thought, well, why didn't we look at the Lord's Prayer? You should have asked me this question. Um, Well, we certainly could. (laughs) We could, in fact, we could extend our course and look at the Lord's Prayer if we wanted to. Uh, But the Lord's Prayer is not actually the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's answer to the question, how should we pray? And that is a different sort of thing. And so it should be maybe taken as a model prayer. Uh, what should we pray for? Or how, how I mean the disciples said, how do, you, how do we pray? And Jesus said, Pray like this, and that's when you get the Lord's Prayer. Um, the other thing I noticed while I was thinking about this is just about everything in the Lord's Prayer is on this list. The only thing I don't really see on this list is something like, give us this day our daily bread. It's the one part of the Lord's Prayer that is entirely about temporal things, about our day-to-day needs. And in fact, I think when the Lord says, to pray, give us this day our daily bread. What he's teaching us is that we rely on God for the food that we eat on a daily basis or for whatever other material need we might have, that God is the provider. And so give us this day our daily bread is something like, God, you are a provider, give us what we need today. Uh, And the focus of these other prayers that we've been looking at is not so temporal. So anyway, I got a little distracted by that, but uh, what I wanted to do today was just kind of go through this and just review, basically, what is the New Testament prayer list? and then maybe make some observations about this list, like what is it,
1: what kind of things are on this list. The first thing I notice is the things on this list are not things I ever thought to pray for, except by reading this list. Well, okay, that might be slightly overstated. But
0: uh, only slightly. This is a list of things I need that I don't have any strong sense of. Like, I need food, and if I don't get some, I have a strong sense of that need. I need to stay warm, and if I get cold, I have a strong sense of my need, but these things, I really kind of need to be told that I need these things, and so it's a useful thing to, uh, well, to be told something you really need that you were previously unaware of. Anyway, let's just take a look at the list. We started in Ephesians chapter 1. In in the first chapter of this great chapter, which I've recommended since we've been studying (coughs) Ephesians in church, that you read this every day as a believer, it really helps you to understand who you are in Christ and how good that is. Uh, But we have this prayer in chapter 1, Starts in verse 15. And Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Okay, so he's asking for some sort of internal spiritual vision. That the eyes of... uh, Sorry, that the God of our Lord, this is verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. that is quite a list, and so focusing in on what the point of it all is is kind of important. I think the point of it all is that we would have gospel-informed
1: spiritual vision. Wow.
0: What does that even mean? That we would have gospel-informed spiritual vision. That we would see things in the light of God's grace. That God would open the eyes of our hearts to truly and fully perceive these three things, the hope of his calling, the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward us believers. All of this is in knowing him. That is a personal fellowship with God himself. Which is only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ. Knowing Him is about fellowship with God, restored to us by the sacrifice of Christ. That, and that knowing Him provides us with a really true perspective on whatever else there is in the world, on our immediate situation. That's related in the word wisdom. How do I correctly assess the situation and act correctly in it? How do I have the practical intelligence to live in this world? And what Paul is praying for is that our temporal perspective would be in the context of our eternal perspective that because I know God I see everything else more truly more correctly more wisely and I am able to judge in in a correct way in the way that will be eternally proper does that make sense? And so the first prayer request is that I would have a true perspective through the lens of the good news. There's an old expression that says, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. You're familiar with that expression?
1: This prayer (laughs) says, the only way to be
0: really earthly good is to be entirely heavenly-minded. It really flips that old saying on its ear. Now, being heavenly, being really heavenly-minded doesn't disconnect you from the situation of this world. It actually connects you to it more wisely. And so that's kind of the point of this prayer, that God would spiritually open the eyes of our hearts to grasp the hope of our calling, the inheritance in the saints, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us believers, which we will learn in chapter 2 of Ephesians is we're actually in the position of raised from the dead. And knowing these things transforms how we know everything else and how we behave in it. Well, if I take this long on every one of these, we'll be here all day. So let's let's move on. Ephesians chapter 3. This is the prayer we just looked at in church on Sunday. To be spiritually... Oh, that says strength. <laughs> There's a typo on your handout. Strength. Strength is not a word, just so you know. Strengthened is what it's supposed to say. To be spiritually strengthened...
1: This looks like an engineer is Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Close enough. Yeah, you know what it means. And you probably wouldn't have noticed I misspelled it if I didn't tell you. Uh, yeah. Apparently, a spell checker's turned off on my software because this is not a word at all. Looks good. To be spiritually strengthened so as to be fully occupied by Christ. This is a prayer of Paul, which we just talked about on Sunday, so I probably shouldn't just give you that whole speech again, but uh, that together with all the saints, we'd be strengthened by the Holy Spirit with the capacity to trust Christ, to be fully occupied by Christ, to be strong enough to grasp the full scope of his love so that together the church may be filled to all the fullness of God. There you go. There's a one-sentence summary of Sunday's message. Apparently, for, for Christ to really dwell in my heart is something I'm not strong enough for. I need my heart to be fortified by the ministry of the Holy Spirit for Christ to occupy me. Now, when I was five years old and I prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, I didn't realize this. And the Lord Jesus, of course, does occupy us. The person of the Spirit of God does indwell everyone who trusts in Christ or who wouldn't trust in Christ. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to trust in him. This is what the Spirit does. This is what it means to be born again of the Spirit. To be born again of the Spirit is to be made alive, made strong, made able to see Christ for who He is, to trust Christ, and for, the, for Christ Himself to occupy your life. I, I can't think of a better word than occupy. Like he comes to dwell in us through his spirit by faith. And this is something I really need. And this is related to the first item, right? Because that true perspective is about all of these things. To be spiritually strengthened so as to be occupied by Christ.
1: Yeah. If someone does not cross Christ, then that person won't be summoned by the Holy Spirit. Or it's because being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So the question is sort of, who starts this? Who starts this? The Spirit is my answer to that question. Basically, based on John
0: chapter three, where people who are born of the Spirit
1: are those who believe in the Son. Yeah. Now, this, of
0: course, uh, is something that is subject to argument in theology school. Uh, my my uh, position on this is. This is how we say it in theology school. Regeneration precedes faith. In other words, I believe because I've been born again. Not the other way around. So, the anyway, this is based on the basic concept of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, if I ask a question. How did God give me this gift of faith? The answer is by the work of the Spirit. And in, in throughout the book of John, Jesus is saying, uh, nobody comes to me unless the Father draws them. Well, how does the Father draw them? By the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter four, uh, the unbelievers are, are uh, described as blinded by the God of this age, meaning devil but blinded by the God of this age until the Spirit enlightens them and then they can believe then they when the spirit enables us to see Christ as he is to see him as to see Jesus as Christ then when I when my vision is healed by the ministry of the spirit then I truly see Christ and of course, I trust
1: Him. So He gives all the credit, you don't that.
0: Yeah. This is part of the basic notion. Salvation is entirely the work of God, and by grace alone. So, uh, yeah. So here, though, this prayer is not for unbelievers. For believers. So for me, one of the striking things in this prayer was... You're reading along in Ephesians, and you come to this statement where Paul prays for Christians that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And immediately I think, wait a second, they're Christians, Christ already dwells in their hearts. (laughs) And the question is,
1: how much?
0: How much? How far? To what extent? How Deeply, because in my heart there's there's more room for him to occupy. I do have a kind of divided heart, and I need Christ more than I have him. I have him, so that 's not the question. This is kind of like the commandment we 're going to find in later in Ephesians uh, when Uh, Paul exhorts us to be filled with the Spirit. Wait a second. He's commanding us to be filled. So it's kind of this weird passive commandment. Like he's commanding us to let something happen to us. Something we don't actually do. But apparently we allow it or something like that. Uh, to be filled with the Spirit. And, but in Romans he says, if you, don't,
1: if, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. <laughs> well, apparently, the filling of the Spirit it can go farther
0: than the mere presence of the Spirit. Then I can be occupied by the Spirit and still need to be more occupied by the Spirit. And that's kind of the idea in this text also. I have Christ, and I need to have him more. I mean, it's kind of simple, really. How complete
1: is your comprehension of Christ and his love for you?
0: Well, you've barely gotten started. And one of the things that happens when you get started on knowing Christ and his love for you is you begin to realize that though you know it and you love it and you appreciate it and you trust in it, you barely know it and you could trust in it more. There are occasions when you decide to trust in something else. Idiot. I mean, that's just foolish, isn't it? But that's how we are. We're kind of weak in our... Occupation of Christ. So,
1: yeah. So, like Yeaah. There's like, still, there's still an action, um, from, um, even though, uhm, you know, God's doctrine, Holy Spirit, but there's still, like, the order to, um, um, let us be killed, right? Like, permit, like, mm-hmm. yeah, kind like, of okay, God <laughs> still, you know, like that, uh, we transformed like that, uh, uh, uh
0: Yes. So
1: there's still something that we... Be filled. Even though we're not the one in charge of doing the but there's still a, a participation in it. Well, I it is you. It. So, yes, right, yeah, right. There's yes, yeah, there's at least
0: that. I am the one filled, so there's at least that participation. I This is somehow or another voluntary. I mean, the Lord isn't forcing himself on me, though we would want to say that his grace is not resistible. If I see Christ for who he is, I'm, I'm not going to refuse him. That'd be unless I'm literally insane. Uh, so, but here, it's a really good question, Angelo, because it's sort of yes and no, my answer, which is, Paul's not talking to us about trusting Christ. There's there's no exhortation in this prayer that says, trust in Christ. There's Paul talking to God the Father about the strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit that will enable us to trust Christ.
1: In other words, he doesn't
0: say, hey, Christian, trust Christ more. He, He could have said that, but he's not, and of course... There's plenty of places in the New Testament where it does say that, and that's exactly what you ought to do. Uh, But our,
1: our faith is always responsive to the work of God. Can we say that again?
0: Our faith is always and can only be responsive to the work of God. The result of the work—it is a work of God in us, and somehow without violating our own agency in the process. So yes, and no. <laughs> uh, that's that's the best I can do. And this is this kind is of a best, deep. This is deep territory we're in yeah, here. Yeah. We're, <laughs> so yeah. To be spiritually strengthened to trust Christ to be fully occupied by Christ is the prayer and one of the things we want to notice about all of these things is they are prayers not commandments because here's what we do we take everything in the Bible and try to read it as a commandment because we want to do it ourselves
1: and that is what got us in this mess in the first place. Okay, well, we
0: better keep going. We're not going to make it through this whole list. Colossians 1, chapter 9. Sorry, verse 9. For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of
1: the saints in life.
0: And that is one giant stack of words. What's the point of all that? <clears throat> to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And to be filled with knowledge here is not just to know what it is, but to completely adopt it. To take God's agenda as my agenda. That God would develop in us, and again we have this word, these words, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Understanding is a word for, like, synthesis, for, for putting things together in a sensible manner, to make sense of the world. So that God would develop spiritual intelligence in us so that we would become obsessed with what he wants. It took me a long time to decide to use the word obsessed. Obsessed but it's the best thing I can think of. (coughs) That, in other words, what God wants, I regard as best, always. Even
1: when it doesn't seem best to me. That's kind of obsessed.
0: The question is, what does God want? Because whatever God wants is good and right. And if I want something that deviates from what God wants, I have deviated from what's good and right, which is stupid, foolish. But in order for me to adopt this way, I need God to fill me with spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's something He does. That's why, we're, again, Paul's talking to God and not us. He doesn't say here, for this reason, since I heard about all you people, I'm begging you to fill yourself with the knowledge of God's will by spiritual wisdom and understanding. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm asking God to work. So what that means is to see the beauty and goodness of his will with the consequence that we joyfully live in order to please God. And he defines that life with these five basic terms. We become fruitful. We become productive according to the eternal standard of God. We increase in our fellowship with God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. and Those who love me, the Father will love them, and I will love them, and I will come to them and manifest myself to them. This is in John 14, I want to say. In other words, God's love is responsive to our responsiveness. It's a personal relationship. And so... When I joyfully live in order to please God, I grow in my fellowship with God. Another way to think of this is like Paul does in Philippians chapter 3, when he says, I want to know him. And the fellowship of his sufferings. That's odd. So Paul wants to understand his suffering as a means to fellowship with Christ as a way of knowing Christ. So Paul's saying in that text, I'm going to try this sacrificially loving way of life, not just because it's good to practice a sacrificially loving way of life, but also because that's how Jesus acted. And if I do that, then I'll understand him more. Okay. So, the third request to completely adopt God's agenda in this life. I become fruitful, increasing in in fellowship with God. I become steadfast, patient. Those two words sound like they mean almost the same thing. Patient means I become able to deal with difficult people. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: steadfast means I keep going even though it's, it's hard or difficult patient means I can deal with difficult people and joyfully thankful and if you think about those, that steadfast and patient pair Christ is the model. Nobody had a greater distance to travel to exhibit patience. Okay, Philippians 1. Philippians 1, the prayer request is that we would abound in love.
1: Oop, going the wrong way
0: this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in now this is starting to get curious how does his love abound in real knowledge and all discernment, that is all ability to make sound judgment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of the Father. Approve the things that are excellent is kind of another way of saying filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, But in any case, the main request here is that your love may abound. And I just want to notice in real knowledge and all discernment there's something about knowledge in everything we've looked at so far. There's something or someone to know. Very interesting. This is about truth. What is truth? So, uh, that your love may abound, well, here's how I said it, to have more love than we need, love to spare, that we would be wealthy in love, and so generous in love.
1: I have always taught my children, the love that we have has to Involved with their mom, their dad, their brothers, so on. They spend money with those people. Mm-hmm. And they need more. They cannot just it. Okay. They can't say, "Well, if I love this person so much, like you, mm-hmm. I feel it every minute. I don't have any money. It's not true. Well, it's All not people true. People yeah, that's right." Yeah,
0: and so here, what we're talking about really is the is is not whether being loving depletes love, though that's not the question. The question is how'd you get to be loving in the first place? Uh, and the the answer here is that what Paul's praying for is that we would be wealthy, uh, that our love would abound. And not to say that it's bounded, but to say that God, because we're connected to the source of it in God, then we have an abundance of it to share with others. And that's kind of the logic of this sentence. So the the to have more love than you need, to have love to spare, to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the sort of love that takes the time to be personally engaged. to Be engaged enough to perceive what's really going on with somebody. To, uh, to be able to share life with someone. Uh, to be generous. To, well, this love is the, is the fruit of the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's what he says here. I just wanted to point it out. Uh, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ, through Jesus Christ, what this this love is the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. This is God's credit to you of the righteousness of Christ. And being credited with righteousness produces fruit in you. How does this work? Well, I recognize the abundance of love that I have in Christ, the security of my position in Christ, that in him I have eternal life, I'm safe forever, that even if you kill me, I can't die, that I'm absolutely secure in him, and therefore can afford to be generous with anybody to the point of poverty on my own part. Because even if I exhaust all of my resources, I have all of his, and so I'm not,
1: I can't be harmed And so to recognize
0: that amazing love transforms me to be loving. That's the point of this prayer. That we'd be so conscious of the love God has for us that it would make us loving. It would make us reflectors of that love to others. Ready for the next one?
1: It's kind of the same. Yeah. This you know, I mean, I mean, you know, what you're talking about is, I have to work really hard at that. That doesn't come naturally. to me. I'm a selfless individual. I want what I want. Yeah. And I have to pray about loving my God <laughs> myself. I really don't love you like God loves me. I have uh-huh. to pray about that and work on that every day. And I think God gives me the strength to do that. It doesn't just happen. It didn't just happen to me when I became Christian. All of a sudden, I'm this wonderful guy and I love everybody like I was himself. It's a daily thing that I have to pray about. Because deep down in my heart, I'm still selfish and I'm going to take care of me first. Mm-hmm. And so I have to get outside of me. I have. I'm not talking about anybody else. I have yeah. to get outside of me and pray about that right. to do that. Yeah, so again... We're coming back to Angelo's question in a certain respect. In other words, the question is, well, Paul doesn't say, hey, Philippians, try to be more loving. He says, Lord, let them abound in love. So,
0: the, my response to that proposition, Is something like this. Well, yeah, love is going to be hard work. Love is kind of by
1: definition the hardest work. And yeah, what would, why would I even care to begin on that project? And
0: so the, the solution to this is as it always is
1: in every aspect of the Christian life God is the provider not me that's
0: why you pray for this <laughs> that's why Paul this, why, why this is a prayer and not a commandment in other words what produces love from me is love toward me so the The work, if I want to engage in a work, is, well, it's the work I might engage in in that prayer in Ephesians 3, that somehow I would see the love of God in Christ. Somehow I would get it about His love for me. Because when I get it about His love for me, I become abundant in my love towards others. And it does kind of just happen. Not that it's not going to require effort. I mean, love is sacrificially generous. That's effort. But it's joyfully entered into, if it comes from this source. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So, yeah, it's a... Again, I would say yes and no. (laughs) Yes, to love people is going to be a struggle. And you're not already good at it. It's something that is going to be developed in you. That's kind of how I want to say it. It's something that's going to be developed in you. You are going to participate in that development. You're not the main mover. God is the provider. So we would say something similar to this about to this in every case on this list, right? To so Paul prays for Philemon that he would be effective in fellowship. That his fellowship would be effective producing results, refreshing the hearts of the saints, he uses that expression. Well, I think okay, Philemon Philemon, Paul's main point here is, Philemon, receive Onesimus, your runaway slave, as your brother. Therefore, no longer your slave. Receive him as your brother, even though he, in, a, in the culture we live in, stole from you, ran away, was completely rebellious in every respect, treated you badly, Receive this person as your brother. Forgive him, accept him, and don't just accept him back. Receive him as your peer, your equal in Christ. Because Onesimus has come to Christ. <clears throat> okay, so the Philemon's effectiveness in fellowship is going to involve Philemon swallowing his own pride. Now, there's every reason to think Philemon was completely capable of what Paul was asking. He was the kind of guy that would do this. But that's because the Lord had already developed in him this effectiveness of fellowship. He was a host to the church in his home. He was... uh, Paul says he was personally refreshing. Paul, anyway, so uh, the prayer, though, is, and again, we want to notice this is a prayer. He doesn't just command Philemon. He prays for him. Now, he prays for him in a way that implies a certain commandment. Okay, so that he would be effective in fellowship by becoming aware of what God is doing us in, in what God is doing in us in Christ. Uh, I just want to look at that
1: because uh,
0: I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Through the knowledge. Wow, it's like every time Paul is saying, This thing I'm asking for is going to be delivered in the form of you knowing something or someone. Interesting. Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. In other words, It's a sort of self-knowledge in this instance. It's a sort of seeing how God has provided in you for this particular act or whatever.
1: Wow. What are all the good things in you for Christ's sake? Do you ever think about that? Did you ever stop and think that there are things God has made in you for Christ's sake? Hmm, very interesting. Uh, And here it's at least desirable
0: to know what those things are. And the reason is uh, certain self-awareness a certain self-awareness contributes to your fellowship effectiveness. The people who are the most refreshing to be with are the people we use this expression in American English who are comfortable in their
1: own skin. The people who know who they are they know what's good with them
0: and what they need to work on. They are self-aware, and one of the things that that sort of thing produces in a person is effectiveness in relating to others. Refreshing fellowship. And that's what Paul's praying
1: for the five.
0: I also need to be effective in fellowship. We're going to look at one more. Romans 15. Here Paul prays that we would be like-minded.
1: Every last one of
0: these things has something to do with our minds, with how we think, with what we know, with what we believe, with who we know and who we believe. It's There's a very central place for the mind in the Christian faith, for uh,
1: the life of the mind, for uh, truth. Truth is at the heart of just about everything. Hmm.
0: And, of course, truth is personified in Jesus.
1: I am the truth, he said.
0: Anyway, so here he says in verse 5, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another... (laughs) just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, you can't be of the same mind with one another by yourself. In other words, the work of imitating Christ is a team work. The work of knowing God is a team work. It's something we engage in jointly with the others. We work on it together. Not I work on it, you work on it. Hopefully, I hope you do well. We'll see you later. No, we team up on it. We collaborate in the work of knowing God and following Jesus. Uh, that's what that means, to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ. You know, what is the thing we're... Our minds are tuning to Christ. And then... The of sorry?
1: Is that the call of action?
0: Well, a uh, certain action, yes. I mean, I have to... Be together. We have to engage in conversation. We have to uh, think together. We have to converse.
1: Sorry. it just conversation, is it also then from that generating
0: something new. Well, this this doesn't mention anything to do except work together on this, but it seems unavoidable it seems unavoidable to me that this would result in in work together and uh, if we're talking about imitating Christ then we're talking about engaging in relationship and in the world for the Christian purpose yeah so uh, this isn't I, so I guess my answer to your question is no. This isn't a particular call to action, apart from the action of working together to be of one mind in Christ. But you wouldn't do that without some call to action at you know at some stage along the way. I mean, to think together about uh, according to Christ Jesus. Well, Christ Jesus wasn't didn't sit at home and do nothing. So, yeah. Uh,
1: so, so our being here talking about it, mm-hmm. trying to understand it, would well, reasonably be expected to be reflected in what we did the
0: Just as any conversation about how you think or what you believe is true would do such a thing. Yeah. If we gather together and we're figuring out how to follow Muhammad, it would be, it would have that effect. Because all action is the consequence of faith. All action, no matter what anyone does, is the direct consequence of what they believe to be true and who they believe in. So the, uh, yeah, so if we say, if if I convince you that anything is true, if you're really convinced, your behavior will reflect that. So here, if we think together to follow the mind of Christ, well, we didn't really do it if it didn't cha- if it doesn't change how we treat people in the world. I just we might say we did it and we didn't really if it doesn't change. Exactly. How who we are,
1: Howard. A perfect example is what Howard shared about Exactly. Exactly. All and so he shared how he's working on it, and that's something that we can take with us. And it's valuable. And if you there, and that, <laughs> we hadn't been here and hadn't shared that, we wouldn't think about Correct. it from front of So that is a doing something.
0: So, so what we're doing here, what we're doing here, is engaging in the thing Paul is praying for in this text. We are thinking together about how we all might think and act more like Christ. Not simple ethical or theological unity. In other words, we're not, it's not just... Uh, we're all going to agree about our doctrinal statement. And we're all going to agree about our rules of how we ought to behave. Well, I mean, those things are involved, but that's not the full extent of this prayer. It's also a unity of effective fellowship in the light of the gospel. In other words, we do this together. This Developing the mind of Christ, we we work it together. We do it together, and again, we read this as a commandment. When Paul writes it as a prayer, so here's my one of my concluding one of my conclusions from this whole conversation.
1: When you read a commandment read it as a prayer. Now I'm I'm extending this idea past the point
0: where the of these prayers because what Paul's saying here is here's what you really need.
1: You really need to look at everything in the light of the gospel. You really need that. You really need to be fully occupied by Christ, something
0: you're not strong enough to do. So, you really need the work of the Spirit to build faith in you so that you're more occupied by Christ, so that you comprehend His love. You really need to adopt God's agenda because God has the correct agenda. You You need to know and follow God's will.
1: You need that. Where you don't have that, you are poor and wrong and misguided. Uh, You really need to be more loving.
0: I mean, everyone knows that. I mean, while you're talking, Howard, I'm going, "Yeah, that's that's right. This is that's that seems impossible, right? Uh, We really need to be more effective in relationships. We really need to know the mind of Christ. Now, that one we might not notice, but we do need it, and so that's and we need to work together on that." We really need all these things. And so, here's something. When the scripture says, a commandment, let's take one, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really already on our list. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, to the extent that you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself,
1: you have sinned against God. You have done something worthy of his judgment.
0: This is not a just live up to your potential sort of thing. It's
1: a, if you don't do it, you're bad sort of thing. But I'm in the same boat, like, well, I just don't
0: do that. I don't feel it, I'm not moved, I don't make it happen. Even when I try it, I can't tell if it's not for some selfish reason. In fact, I think usually if I treat somebody right, it's in order to get something myself most of the time. So let me finish now. So what we find when we confront the law of God is we don't live up to it in fact
1: we're incapable of living up to it so pray so
0: pray because the source of obedience is grace the 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 way i engage in the law is from the gospel that's what. that's why these are prayers, not commandments. So whatever commandment I look at, wherever I see some difficult obedience, I think, well, how, how, do, I, how do I make progress here? The answer is, rely on the resources of God in Christ by the Spirit. That's the point of this whole thing is the things I really need, I cannot make them myself. I'm not a source of these things. I need His provision for these things. Look to
1: God. God says, Jesus says, you know, when people come to me, I don't turn them away. Ever. So the Lord is at work in these things. When I
0: pray, I become cooperative in his work. Not not by
1: working myself so much as by receiving what he gives. When I receive what he gives, I have something to give. I'm changed in the process.
0: Okay, I hope that's clear enough. Uh, but we got to stop. We've gone for an hour, and we only made it halfway through our list. Well, this is the old part of the list, so uh, probably a lot of you guys weren't around when we started this. But um, anyway, now any any more questions, comments, discussion
1: points? Uh, thanks, thanks for uh, sharing this with us. Yeah, it's open-minded and a lot of points all about the different uh, things that is uh, truly uh, that we need we need uh, uh, to love we need to uh, fellowship and it's very important to talk about it and let God uh, let us do it not us right. but let God let us do it yeah we to get excited I mean in a certain sense this This comes
0: back to the principle that I find at the heart of almost everything, and that is the principle of image and likeness. The purpose of the human creation is to, by, by being like God, by being in association with and made in His likeness, we bear His image. And the the human creation is designed to walk in correct fellowship with everyone else and everything else because we walk in correct fellowship with God. And he is the wellspring that all goodness comes from. So I'm only good in connection with him. When I operate in my independent goodness, I've mispointed higher. If I operate in his goodness, then I'm getting restored to the original design. So always pray. I you know, you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but the Entirety of the Christian life is prayer. (coughs) There's nothing more to it and nothing less to it. Now that should expand your idea of what prayer is, but okay, we'll talk about
1: it. I go down this particular line. When you read a commandment, read it as a prayer. Yeah. Ourselves. Yeah, ourselves, right? And to we'll read the commandment as a prayer says something about um, where we put trust. Because, right. Um, it, I read it as a commandment, I don't trust myself to follow
0: the commandment. Correct. It read it as a
1: prayer because we so we need to work you. in you. Exactly. In order to, because we can follow on to something by ourselves.
0: Well, and while you're talking, I'm thinking, when you see a
1: commandment, read it as these prayers. Because all of the law of God is summarized in the commandment of love. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart. I, was a, I
0: once was doing this Bible study and it's a book, you know, like a workbook thing and you come to this point in the workbook where he quotes this commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and there's a question the question is do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your uh, soul, with all your strength yes or no And you are directly confronted Mm -hmm. with,
1: oh, all,
0: I mean, all, in other words, if you love the Lord, your God with 97.3% of your heart, you have not fulfilled this commandment. It's impossible. It's a standard above our capacity.
1: Well, that's kind of the point.
0: So, what do we need? We need the supply. Uh, We we become loving by being loved. John just says this straight out. We love because he loved us first. It's as simple as that. And that's still true 100 years after you were saved. It's not just the one time. It's all the time. And this is the design. We are to be expressions of His loving character. Always. So Paul writes in Romans, present yourself to God as instruments of His righteousness. Not be righteous, but let God be righteous in you.
1: Forget it. Even in the
0: Garden of Eden, before sin came in the world, God is the provider. Not Adam. And the, what, what, when Adam got into trouble was when he decided to provide for himself.
1: Yeah. Is it a moment to think... All, all things we do in our own strength is not good. Well, it's but worth it. Let God guide us. Correct. Correct. And a, there is a God will never give us more than we can handle. Someone uh, yeah. said uh, that we uh, want to love the people, uh, and it's so hard to love, <laughs> um, but in our uh, own system, as human being, <laughs> it's hard to do it with in God, let God do it. I I like
0: the rephrase of that that aphorism Mm -hmm. God will never give you more than you can handle. It goes like this. Oh, well, yeah, God has given you
1: more than you can handle. Mm -hmm. But he has not given you more than he can handle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In you. Yes. And so it's a... You mentioned something about Standards in our capacity. Yeah. But uh, that's in an in a individual context, or us together can, in Christ, can we achieve those standards? Like Not in. Can we together in Christ, uh, love God uh, 100% before our soul? Well, in Christ we will. Oh, we have. Yeah. Yes and the key phrase in your sentence is in Christ mm-hmm. in Christ I came because Christ can do these things in me but uh, when
0: I say the standard is above our capacities I'm talking about our independent capacities I'm talking about I'm going to I hear thou shalt not steal and I determine never to steal I will not steal well that didn't last long uh so the
1: uh yeah so in our independent operation we find we can't avoid violating God's commandments. Because God's commandments are perfect, and nobody's perfect. And one of God's commandments is be perfect. Mm-hmm. well
0: it's too late for that I, I, you know because as soon as there's any imperfection perfection is impossible from now on my only hope of, that, of obedience to that commandment is in the credit of the righteousness of Christ to me and then in the realization of that in the resurrection. So, yeah, to get together, we work on this together, but, uh, I, I think it would be unreasonable to expect that even the church together has the, well, I put the phrase, in Christ, anything's possible. If I, if I'm just talking about what we can do, Who's even interested? Honestly, uh, who cares what we can do? We, yeah, it's a very limited audience. But uh, what if God visibly did something in us? Well, that'd be worth seeing. That's why we begin in prayer not by not with a plan.
1: I, I think sometimes when we talk about these things we we, we actually are thinking about God as a concept and not as we we here. Maybe okay. that's Well, you certainly could. The, yeah. yeah. Because, but that perspective changes. That that changes the perspective of what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, um, uh, if I was talking about my father, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's not the same, but I would say he was, if I was aware that he's standing in his place. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and this is, I mean,
0: we're talking about a person's. Not a concept, not an idea, but a a trinity of persons, one God and three persons. And what we're talking about is a personal involvement. So when when we're talking about the spirit dwelling in the fellowship of the church, that's not an abstraction. That's the actual reality of things. And so, what we're praying for is that that would be effective. Well, okay, I I don't see how I can pray that that would be effective. And not while praying that, means submitting myself to it. In other words, if I say I want to pray together with Paul, that I would be strengthened with power
1: in the inner man by the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, praying that is is opening myself up to it. For real. Or I'm not really praying. Praying that is acknowledging the personal relationship that is involved with me and the Father, ministered to me by the Spirit. These are persons. Like, we're conversing as persons. So those things are are not, this is not some kind of abstract concept. This is a, rea- a the actual spiritual reality. And one of the things I see in all these prayers is, man, I wish we were more aware of this
1: of these spiritual realities. Lord, keep help us to keep these things in mind and in heart. You know, not just
0: our cognitive reasoning, but in our whole person. To be to have your heart occupied by Christ
1: means you.
0: <laughs> All there is of you is a house of Christ. So that when I live, I'm living out
1: from my fingertips the character of Christ. who he, He's living in me.
0: This is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's this, this is the same principle. It's it, I can't. You can't read any verse of the... Oh, okay, maybe some. I don't know. But for me, this is on every page
1: of the Bible. I walk in fellowship with God, so I walk in good fellowship with you. Yeah. And he's the ever-living source of all goodness. Want, In, yeah, go I ahead. I want to share this little thing. It is very interesting. Uh, we as uh, adults, we are sitting here to um, hear what the Bible says um, that we have to do. Um, the Bible says also that um, Teach the child the way he has to go, and when you become old, he never comes. This commandment in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 says, Children, obey your parents in in the (laughs) law. Obey your parents in the law, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. That it may go down with you, and that you may live long in the land, yeah. and if it goes go back in the Lord, we as adults, we have to uh, pray that the Lord will guide us, that we think like Him, and the prayer for our children has to be that they will obey us as parents in the Lord, and you know it's very nice and. <laughs> To uh, pray for each other. Not, not only for adults, but for the youth and for the children.
0: Yeah, the verse right before that says Fathers, raise your children in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm shortening a little, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's not your nurture and admonition. Mm-hmm. It's his exercise through you. It's everywhere. We better stop. We've gone for (laughs) an hour and 15 minutes. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this chance to get together, for this good conversation. Lord, we, we do pray these things. Lord, we pray that these things would be real in our lives. We want you to work in us. We want to walk in fellowship with you to reflect that to the people around us and into the world Uh, Lord we want to think together
1: about how to do these things together we want to be the body of Christ to really represent him well in this world Lord we know we
0: confess that we fall short of that so many ways we thank you that you are at work in our lives to lead us to grow us in our understanding of your grace your love and so to build us up as your church to
1: grow us into the sort of loving community that we can be we thank you Lord Thank you for each one of these men and their friendship and fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.